So years ago, a friend called me up and he asked me if I wanted to go to a football game in Buffalo. He said, let's go to an NFL game in Buffalo. I said, does Buffalo have an NFL team? Not an NFL crowd. Okay. Um, Because the Bills stink. Uh, But it was preseason and uh, my friend goes, hey, let's go watch this game. I say, yeah, that'll be fun. I got nothing else to do. So we hop in the car. He picks me up. We drive across the border into Buffalo. We park our car. We're walking down the road towards the stadium. You know, there's like hundreds and thousands of people going to this game. Really looking forward to it. And as we get a little bit closer and closer to the stadium, I say, hey, where's our seats? And then he says, I'm not sure. And then he turns to some guy on the street who's reselling tickets. And I'm like, oh, great. Don't even have tickets. So he goes up to this guy and they negotiate a price for the tickets and we pay for the tickets. And okay, you know, I was a little nervous at this point, but that's fine. So we take the tickets and we continue to walk up the road. You know, it's like a mile down the road. So we finally get up to the stadium and they got the people scanning the tickets there at the door. And so we give them our tickets and they scan it and red. Go oh, try again. We got these from the guy in the street. I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> Scan them again. Red. Sorry, guys. These tickets are not authentic. Oh, I'll try them again. No, they're, they're no good. So we go back out. We're in the parking lot. And uh, I'm a little ticked off because I thought I was getting a free ticket here. And now we're buying tickets for the second time. Uh, so we go and we find authentic ways to buy tickets, and we buy actual tickets, and uh, we go to the door, and it's green, and they let us in. But it was really amazing, because when I got the tickets that actually worked, and we compared them with the tickets that didn't work, what I found out was they really looked th- almost the same. The fonts were the same, the picture on the ticket was the same, uh, the size was the same, the paper was the same, everything just lined up. You know, like, it wasn't like somebody took construction paper and just wrote, oh, ticket to the game, and gave it to us. It looked legit, but the problem was that none of that mattered. The font doesn't matter, the picture doesn't matter, the paper doesn't matter, none of it matters. The only thing that mattered was the barcode. The barcode is what authenticates, yes, we bought an actual ticket to this game and you can go in or you can't go in. And so we couldn't go in when we had the tickets that were fakes and then we could go in when we had them. And uh, that's an important lesson. And we're just closing off a series that we've been working through the book of Galatians. And it's this powerful book, right? It's this New Testament writing, this letter where Paul's talking about something has happened that has cut through the heart of people. You know, we just, all, all this stuff that we can, we can fake or the pretense of religion or the stuff that keeps us apart, the stuff that we argue about, the stuff that we're different on. There's something that has brought us together. There's something that has changed everything and all those things that divide us and all those things that, that come between us and all the things that we think, oh, I'm better than you or you're better than me and we can't be together. Something has happened to change all of that. It's such a powerful, amazing letter. And I can't help but think, as we read this letter now, a couple thousand years later, as a church and as a community in our world, and we're trying to figure out things, I wonder if you're a little bit like me, where you read through that letter and you go, that's so amazing, and man, how powerful it would be if we could draw people together instead of push people apart, and what an incredible community we could have if, if this sort of embodied us and who we are. And I wonder if you've ever thought, maybe about yourself, why are we not changing Why is that not becoming more of who we are? Why do our our churches, our communities not look more and more like that? It seems really great, but how come we can't always break through? We still seem to get stuck. We still seem to fight about all kinds of stuff in churches. 
as well as in the, you know, the rest of our lives and other phases of our life. But why is it that we, we really can't get this? And, and how come, even if maybe we want to, there's something deep inside some of us where you go, man, I would love to be part of that, and I would love, but there's also this part of me that I still, man, I still find that I'm fighting with people. I still find that I'm angry. I still find that, you know, as much as we'd like to be inclusive, I am kind of divisive, and I'm not comfortable with people that think differently or act differently, and, and I don't know how to work through that. Maybe you've worked through this, and we've been talking a lot in this series because we know we're just in a spot in our world, in our our culture and here in Ontario where there's so much that's divisive and there's so much we're arguing about. I don't know if you've ever through the last uh, seven or eight weeks here, we've been going through this, if you've read some of this and heard some of this and you've ever thought, yeah, but I'm still kind of a jerk. Has that ever occurred to you? Sometimes that occurs to me, but yeah, I'm still kind of, I mean, I read how this should change everything and yet I'm still kind of a jerk. And I wonder, there's probably a number of things that can hold us back from really embracing this message as something that transforms us, this message of Jesus, the message of the cross. But I think one of the great obstacles to spiritual growth is that we are fakers. Does that hurt a little bit? We're fakers. And sometimes we're really good fakers. Sometimes we're really good at being like, hey, look at the ticket. Check out the font. Same font. Check out the size. Same size. Check out what it says on there. It says all the things that it's supposed to say on there. But then if really we got down to like a heart level and what really mattered and what was really true, somebody scanned the barcode, we would go, oh, it's a fake. I think a huge obstacle for us to actually experiencing transformation not faking religious stuff, not going through the motions, not making ourselves feel good about what other people think of us. But real transformation, one of our biggest obstacles is that we're good fakers. Have you seen the show on Netflix, Inventing Anna? I'm going to try and talk about this without spoilers. There's this show, uh, relatively new on Netflix, and it's, about, it's based on a true story, but I think they've added a bunch of stuff in. But uh, a fascinating story about this woman. And uh, she shows up in the United States, and everybody's believing that she's uh, an heiress from Germany, and she's got all this money. And she's in big business deals, and she's, she's kind of moving and shaking, and she's meeting all these powerful and amazing people. She lives at fancy hotels that are super costly. She tips big, and so people are like, wow, this is amazing. And yet there's other people who go, I'm not so sure. Like some of her friends who, it's like she owes me money, and she's not paying it back, and she says she's got all this money. Or business partners that are going, I've heard that she's got all this money, and she's got you know a family with all this wealth, and yet there's some question marks, and the whole thing, again, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but the whole thing is people trying to figure out, does this woman really have a kajillion dollars and she's a real player, or is she a con person who has nothing? And you go, wow, how could you have two extremes that there are people out there that think are possible for this person? And you know what you got to ask? Well, what's the criteria? What, what are the indicators? How would we actually know if somebody is broke and a con person, or if somebody is, is wildly wealthy? And how could it be that so many people were unsure one way or another? Because we're good fakers. And there's some of that in all of us. There's who we are, and there's who we portray. There's what's going on deep inside of us, and there's what everybody can see about us. So today I want to talk a little bit about what the true indicators for spiritual growth are. If we want to get honest, if we really want to be people who grow, if we're, we're serious about God's presence in our lives, and like we talked about last week, uh, yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God and letting Him transform us. 
what are the true indicators for spiritual growth? Man, last week, and uh, Dr. Isaac Odami was here. If, if you haven't listened to that message, the last two weeks, uh, I wasn't here. Uh, we had Steve Cox a couple of weeks talking about the beautiful life that wisdom brings, how we can listen to the voice of God. Last week, uh, Dr. Isaac Odami was talking to us about the fruit of the Spirit. You want to hear some indicators of spiritual growth, indicators that the presence of God, you're, you're allowing him to change you. Or remember what we heard last week from Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. You know what I love about the metaphor, the fruit of the Spirit? You can't fake fruit. You can't fake fruit. We can fake results. We can fake all kinds of stuff. You know, we live in the, the Instagram world, the TikTok world, for a few minutes, we can fake everything. We can fake that we're, we're happy. We can fake that we have a family that gets along together. We can fake that we have money. We can fake uh, what we look like. We can get the lighting going and the, the certain pose going. We can, we can portray all kinds of things. And we've learned that really well, haven't we, in our society? Hey, here's, we've, we've learned how to fake being polite. By the way, being polite, which is a good thing, is not a fruit of the Spirit. Most of us can be polite for an hour or two on a Sunday morning when we come to church right? You can kind of fake polite. But then every morning, I have to get my kids out the door to the bus stop and go to school. Have some of you had this experience as a parent? My kids are almost three and almost six. Give you a little bit of context. So it's, uh, okay, it's time to go. The bus is going to be coming. All right, get your boots on and get your coat on and get your hat on and get your mitts on. And why are you taking off your coat? No, you keep that on. Where's your lunch? Do you have your bag? Where's your mask? You don't have a mask. We got to go. The bus is coming now. The bus is, we're going to miss the bus. If we miss the bus, I got to drive you all the way to the school. And then I got to get you to daycare. And I got meetings. And then we have this little, um, I don't know if you've seen these, these little signs where you have, you know, it's black felt and you can put different letters and spell stuff out. So somebody in our house, it wasn't me, put up this sign right by the door and they wrote, love is patient. <laughs> so here I am every morning, get your hat, don't take off your coat, love is patient. And guess what? You can't fake patient. You can fake polite for a little bit while, but you can't, you can't fake patient when you're yelling at your kid. Oh, wait a second. What are we doing here? Man, it's so powerful. And I think, um, again, we're good at faking. So this is one of those things where today uh, and through this, I, I don't even know how to really check on you or you to check on me other than uh, some of us are going to have to be willing to go, what's really beneath the surface? What's going on deep within my life? Where am I allowing the Spirit of God to grow in me? And by the way, I know the fruit of the Spirit can be intimidating. All oh, those things, man. I'm, but fruit grows, right? Over time. Fruit grows. Starts out small. Starts out actually in the ground, underneath the ground, which I think is a beautiful metaphor for our lives. Starts deep within us. Everything that grows grows from the inside out. So it starts with a seed, buried in darkness, but then it's watered. I love just thinking of uh, how the sun, and I don't even understand. Some of you guys understand biology better than me, but how the sun. I'm told. Even when a seed is under the ground, the sun calls forth that seed to grow. And as it's watered and as there's nutrients in the soil, all of a sudden you see a little sprout and then a little stem and then some buds and eventually a flower. This is a, the fruit of the Spirit over time. God is working these things into our lives and you can't fake fruit. You nurture it, you water it, and it grows. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So we're coming to the end. This is the last chapter of Galatians that we've been working through. I'm going to start reading Galatians 6 and verse 11 and kind of get uh, Paul as he finishes off this letter. 
his, his, his parting shot, what he really wants to get to us. So he says in verse 11, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. So Paul would have been um, dictating this to some sort of scribe that would have been writing it for him, which is really common. And now he comes, and sometimes this would just happen for a signature, but people in the ancient world would go, okay, and then now this is my handwriting. Now I'm taking over, and Paul does that, but he's going to finish off with a couple of paragraphs. And he says, look how big I write. People wonder, why was he writing so big? Some people think it's because he had problems with his eyesight. And earlier in the book of Galatians, you might remember, he used kind of this metaphoric thing about his relationship with the Galatians. And he said, even if you tore out your eyes and gave them to me, and some people think it's because he didn't have good eyesight. And so that's why he used that metaphor. And he's coming back to it here, like he doesn't see well, so he writes really big. Some people think because he was a a person who did manual labor, uh, or maybe he had some injury with his hand. He had a problem uh, writing smaller. But it doesn't really matter because in the end, what it is is emphasis. This is like Paul going all caps in a text. Like, whoa, why are you yelling at me, man? I want you to read this. This is really important. All caps, big letters. Don't miss this. We've been all through this about the Holy Spirit changing your life, about, hey, let's stop faking it. Hey, let's get rid of all these things that outwardly maybe make us feel or think something about ourselves that isn't true, and let's get into it. And now he comes down to this section, and he goes, I'm taking over. I've taken the pen, and I'm writing big. And he probably spells that out because, uh, again, these letters would have gone to churches, probably a number of churches in the region of Galatia, and uh, most people would, would have heard it, not read it, be read in church. So they get together uh, in a group of people and they go, hey, Paul sent us a letter and we're going to read it. So then they hear it because some of them wouldn't see the big letters. But okay, Paul's making a really important point here. So let's get dialed in. Verse 12 says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want you to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can, be, uh, can save. So here's what he's reminding. We've been all through this. There's a group of people who have come in and they've said, listen, in order for this to be legit, your faith journey, for you to be part of our community, you need to be circumcised. Well, Paul says, those of you who are trying to force that on you, they want you to look good to others. This is something externally that we can prove happened and they're doing that so that they look good, so that, that well, I don't have to fight this fight. There's this group of people who say, yeah, this Jesus guy, and he's come in and the cross. But listen, we're Jews, and part of our covenant, a big important part that's in the Bible, the Bible tells us that God told us to be circumcised, the males of our community, and they're going, and we got to do that. And this is sort of a nice proof. And some of these guys have come in, and they're teaching this, and they're going, listen, Paul says, they want to look good. And it's this external thing that they can sort of prove. Hey, look what we did. We brought in these converts. Well, how do we know they're really converts? How do we know they're part of our community? How do we know that, that they're, they're, they're really on board? Well, we could have this external proof. But what Paul is saying is being outwardly conformed does not mean you are inwardly transformed. That's not the barcode. <whistles> Scan it. That's red. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about the presence of God. Well, yeah, but look at what we could do. You ever tempted to do that? You ever tempted to just, you know, here's some of the external things that make me feel like I've got a good relationship with God that make other people maybe, oh, yeah, they know that I'm, I'm good. We do this with all kinds of stuff. We do it with our behaviors, and behavior is really important. But sometimes it's, uh, here's the things that I don't do. I grew up a little bit like this. I don't know how it entered my psyche, but when I was in high school, I remember thinking, uh, what, what is a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian, to be a Christian in high school? And I had a list of things you don't do. And if you don't do things, you're a good Christian. I mean, that just, that's what it looks like. 
So in high school, you don't smoke and you don't drink and you don't have sex. And if you can, if you can kind of cover those bases, you're good. You're okay. Is that deep spiritual transformation? I mean, it's not that there's, there's nothing good in those things, but has that changed who I am? Those are all things that outwardly you could say, I've done them or I haven't done them. That's pretty easy, right? Well, do, do my parents think that I'm a good Christian? Well, look what I haven't done. Paul just goes, man, these people are trying to look good and maybe trying to avoid a fight here. Hey, if we just all outwardly conformed, we wouldn't have to fight about the other stuff because we could just say, well, look, we're all, we're all the same. But then you try and get into the Bills game and it's not authentic. It doesn't really change you. It doesn't mean that you're more loving or kind or patient. It just means that you've learned to conform. So first thing that I might suggest in our spiritual journey is do not equate looking good with being good. No matter what you look like, I get it. It's a, it's a big factor because we don't want to be embarrassed and we don't want people to think that we struggle or hurt. We don't want people to think that we've done something that would bring us embarrassment or, or some kind of shame. Or, and we won't look bad. Of course we don't. But if we're going to get real about our spirituality, we just got to realize that th- those things don't equate. Just because I look good doesn't mean I, I am good. If we're unwilling to look vulnerable or weak or even to admit that we're wrong, this is a huge, huge stumbling block. And if instead we're just putting things in place to go, well, but look what I didn't do. I'm a good Christian. Look where I showed up to on Sunday. I'm a good Christian. Hey, look what nobody else can actually see in me because what they do see in me looks pretty good on the outside. Yeah, but we can't equate looking good with being good. And actually, that, that fake part of us allows us to hide things that fester in our soul. It's just, just so detrimental to actually who we are because sin grows in the dark. Sin grows when, when we can't be vulnerable and when we can't share, but our souls don't grow in the dark. Our souls don't grow in secrecy. Our relationship with God, that deep spiritual transformation, just, just doesn't work when we're just pretending. We have to cut through the pretense. So verse 13 says, and even those who advocate circumcision, don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. So now here's a religious system where they go, okay, so we're going to go back and report to the people that maybe we're accountable to or the people that we care about their opinion or the majority or whoever that is. And we want to be able to go, hey, we won converts. This is a really interesting study if you think about the church. And when we go out and we talk about how we witness to other people, what we tell them it is to convert to Christianity or what it means to be a Christian... And they go, these guys are so caught on something, again, that they can prove externally, that they can bring back to whoever. And they go, well, how do we know you were doing good work? How do we know that you were, you were kind of doing the religious thing you were supposed to be doing? And it's like, well, we went to these people and they all got circumcised. They've got to be on board. They've done something right. And we can prove that they've done something right. But do not equate doing one thing that looks right with doing everything that is right. Paul says they are hypocrites. They just want to boast about it. They, just, they, they need something to say, yeah, there you go. We're all, we're all good. We're all on the same team. We've all done this. And, and there's this false security, which I totally understand why we do it, but a false security, we want to get something that's very tangible, that's very easy to prove, and go, if we have that in our lives, then we can feel good about it, right? And that's why those lists of, well, I never do these things. Ah, good. I can feel good. 
oh, I must be a good person. Look at all the, the, the sins that I avoid. Or, and it goes the other side, because some of us, we're very focused on our personal holiness, and here's the list of things I don't do. Others of us, we're so focused on, man, look at all the things I do for other people, and I help the poor, and you know, we, we feed hungry people, and all that. And by the way, both of those sides, that's, those are really good things. But sometimes we can go, as long as I feed the poor, it doesn't matter what's going on in my own heart. Or I'm so focused on my, my own purity and the things that are happening inside of me that I ignore the needs of other people. And we go, you know, if we're really talking about what it means to be transformed, to have the presence of God, to yield, to actually embody the fruit of the spirit that we talked about, it's going to be a holistic thing, isn't it? That God has to actually change who we are. We can't just pick the certain things in our lives that make us feel good about ourselves. And as long as I do this one thing, I must be a pretty good person, a pretty good Christian. I must be doing okay. But then you come back to the fruit of the spirit and you go, is that it? Like, is does that really match up? Am I actually becoming more loving and patient and kind and self-controlled and good and faithful and all those things that we read about? Or have I just found some things that maybe, yeah, I can handle this one. I can handle this thing that makes me feel good. Or I can look this way that makes me feel good or placates other people's opinions of me. But we're good fakers. Hey, here's some good things I do. That's great. Or, hey, here's some external things that I can prove. Well, that's great. But you can't fake fruit. You can fake results sometimes. You can fake your mood. You can fake your appearance. But you can't really fake fruit. And this is Paul's point, I think, when he writes in, in really big letters. And he says, focus on this. Be on guard for those external things that you think define you, but don't actually change you or transform you. Verse 14, he says, as for me, may I never boast about anything, anything, except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. The world, just as a reminder what he's talking about, the world, uh, there's different ways you could translate this word from Greek, the world. Sometimes it's people. But here, where Paul's talking about the world, he's talking about uh, sinful humanity or more specifically, problem, probably, systems of injustice or corruption that are political, social, or religious, whatever systems are in place that don't actually help people thrive and be loving and come closer to God. But the ones that sometimes make us feel comfortable, but don't lead us anywhere good. Lead us to injustice. Lead us to maybe faking it in this case. Paul says, I have nothing to do with these systems. He says, I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. So he's using language of the cross, obviously, but he's talking about himself, not just what Jesus did, but himself. And this, I hope you've never had this experience, but perhaps you have, where you've had a huge rift in relationship, a massive fight. There's been so much hurt and pain with someone that you said, I can't have a relationship with them. Or maybe they've said to you, they can't have a relationship with you. Uh, so deeply, it's like, I'll have no contact. We're not gonna talk. We're not gonna hang out. We are not gonna uh, be in the same places together. And sometimes they go, that person, is dead to me. That's what Paul's saying here with these systems. This whole religious system of, of faking it and trying to prove yourself on externals. I'm not just kind of leery of it. I'm not just sort of, oh, we should be careful of that. I am dead to that way of living before God, and that way of living is dead to me. We have no contact. We have no relationship. We're not doing that anymore. And he makes his point. If you're just trying to put on appearance, if you're ignoring what's really going on deep inside of you, if it's not about interacting and yielding with the Spirit of God, really, truly dealing with what is true, you're not going to change. You won't be transformed. 
He says it's about the cross. And interesting there, he talks about the cross of Jesus, this thing that God did by sending his son to die for us to show what it looks like, true sacrificial love, grace, forgiveness to be poured out into the world, what it looks like for God to say, I am not ignoring evil actions. I'm not ignoring hurt and injustice and pain. I'm stepping into it and I'm becoming vulnerable and I'm allowing it to be put on myself in a sense. That just seems absurd to our way of thinking. So he mentions that I only boast in the fact that God would do that, the cross of Jesus. And then He uses that crucifixion language, but then I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. So the cross is on one hand, a one-time event where God sent his son into the world to die for the sins of humanity. And on the other hand, it's a pattern for us. Death and resurrection is a pattern for us. I must die to myself. I must die to my sin. I must die to these, these systems. I must die to the world that tells me you could fake it or maybe here's a way you could earn it or, or here's the other thing that people will be. No, I die to that. Crucified to the world becomes a pattern to me too. So as Paul will say in other places, I can live with Christ. I can be in Christ. I can experience real, true presence of God. Sometimes we skip over this and it's just, well, Jesus died for us and we'll go to heaven one day. That sounds good. But he calls us to live a cruciform life. He calls us to live and to die so that we can truly live. Because some of us were so embarrassed and we're so ashamed of maybe things that are in our lives. We go, I can fake it, but you know, there comes a point where I can't really fake it. Not authentic. What do we have to move towards? A willingness to be crucified, to die to our appearances, to die to our sinfulness and to live only to Christ, to yield to his spirit as he gives us everything that we need to grow, to bear fruit. So he says in verse 15, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. There's the resurrection language. So where we had the crucifixion language now, it's, it's, and it's not just that you die, but here's what really matters. Here's what you cannot fake, new creation. That God does a work in you to redeem you and to restore you. You can't fake that can't pretend your way out of that. You can't just use externals for that. Something that happens deep down when you receive the Spirit of God. Actually, the language here when he talks uh, in these verses about uh, those who want you to be uh, circumcised, he actually says those who want you to receive circumcision is kind of the same language he uses for receiving the Holy Spirit. There's a contrast there. You can receive this kind of list of stuff, this external stuff, the appearance stuff, the the fake stuff. You can receive all of that. Say, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to try and get through. Or you can receive the Holy Spirit as we see the love of God poured out in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. Vulnerable, weak, dependent, open. Open hands to the Spirit of God. You want to know what that looks like a little more? If you haven't already watched or listened, go back to the last couple of weeks, as I said before, some great messages on how to hear the voice of God, how to walk in step with the Spirit. Today, I want to suggest one thing, just as we cut through to the end of this and say, man, it might be all good, and man, I want to, I want to be the kind of person God wants me to be. Maybe you're thinking, I want to experience real transformation, and just as I've read through the end of this book, and I'm going, man, one of the biggest challenges for us, I think, is that we fake it. We've all got that temptation, maybe impulse inside of us. What's one practice that maybe we could take some steps in that would help us to break through the pretense and just go, I'm, not, like, I'm dead to that way of living. I'm dead to this. I'm going to try and pretend I'm something I'm not system. And I'm actually going to embrace 
what God is doing and what God has offered, which is all grace and all forgiveness. And so here's the, the practice. It's the practice of confession. Now, if you have some experience in a Catholic church, perhaps you've experienced confession to a priest. I don't know what your experience like, would have been. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. Maybe there was an abuse there. Maybe there was an emptiness there. Maybe it was great for you. I don't know. But if you grew up in a more Protestant church, there's kind of a trick we use to get away from confession. So uh, whereas the Catholics would say, well, we have a priest, go to the priest, and they'll assure you of forgiveness, and maybe they'll give you uh, some penance, some things to do that can uh, you know, help you get back on the right path or whatever it might be. Protestants, we went the other way, and we went, oh, we see how that could be abused, and that could be a really bad thing. And uh, by the way, we all have access to God, which is very true. And so we go, we don't need to go to a priest. We just can, we got a direct line, right? We'll go right to God, and we'll ask for forgiveness. And that's true. I think that's a good thing. But what we've done is we've really short-circuited confession in general. So one, maybe sometimes we go, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. And we go on our way. And we don't deal with who we've hurt or things that maybe need to be rectified or, or just conversations that need to happen. And sometimes I think we walk around and we go, I don't know if I'm really forgiven. Like, no, no voice came from the sky. The heavens didn't open up. Did God hear me? Am I really forgiven? Am I good enough? Do I have to do something more to be forgiven? And it leaves us in this kind of weird zone where either we're maybe too confident of God's forgiveness, and so we skip over some of the hard parts of confession, or we just don't really do it at all. James, brother of Jesus, in James 5, he says this. This is so interesting. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I love this. James does this a couple of times. And to our modern sensibilities, we go, what do you mean healed? Healed of what? Like physically healed? If I confess my sins, do I get physically healed? Is my physical illness connected with my spiritual life, whatever's going on? Or maybe he's talking about spiritually healed. If you confess your sins to one another, then you'll be spiritually healed. Maybe it's an emotional healing. And so you can actually read. There's scholars that go over and over this. You know, like big, thick books. What, what, is it, what does it mean? All this kind of stuff. I read somebody on this. I wish I could remember where I found it um, so that I could give them credit. I think it was, it was a social media post or something. But they said, I love this. They go, so we read this and we go, well, what is this healing? What is he talking about? Spiritual, physical, emotional, and how is it supposed to get worked out? And he said, there's two ways we could figure out what kind of healing we would experience. We could spend our whole lives, we could parse out the verbs, we could, we could study the context, we could look at all the ancient literature that matches up with it, we could go to the best scholars, we could, we could get into the most minutia of the, the biblical text, we could, we could look at proofs from all over the world and all over of history, we could spend decades and decades until our dying moment to try and figure out and try and prove it, or we could confess our sins to each other. And over time, maybe we would find out what kind of healing comes when instead of letting our sin fester, we confess to one another. Where would you start with that? I would start here. One, if there's someone that you've hurt, if there's someone you've offended, there's where you start. A confession and an apology to make things right. Jesus was clear on this. You come to worship, go into the temple, but then you realize there's something between you and your neighbor. Well, why don't put down your sacrifice? Because this whole worship thing can be easily become just appearances, as I think what Jesus is teaching. Go make it right with your neighbor. Maybe it's something that's more personal, or you don't know if there's, there's someone specifically that you've hurt, but there's something in your life. And I, I would start with somebody that you trust. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a good friend, somebody in your life group, church community. Maybe it's a, a leader at church. And, and to say, I, I want to confess this. No more faking it. No more pretending I'm perfect. No more, you know, hey, look at me. I got it all together. But hey, there's this thing in my life that needs to be out of my life. I want to start with confession. 
Here's the amazing thing about the cross of Jesus, of which Paul says, this is all I boast in. In the cross of Jesus, we find the foundation, the, the, the soil that gives us everything that we need for that to be a safe thing. Now, by safe, I don't mean without consequence, because our sin has consequences. But sometimes I think we're so scared of the consequences that will come out if our sin is known, that we don't realize the consequences of our sin that is hidden. Sometimes we think it's far worse that someone would know about my sin or that I would have to have a hard conversation or that I would have to take on whatever consequence of this being known. And we diminish the consequences of trying to fake it and leaving that sin inside of us to fester, to produce guilt and shame, to keep us from being free to love each other drives us apart in our communities instead of brings us together. See, the cross is so beautiful. This is what Paul's saying. Such a powerful letter. He's talking about, oh, the cross of Jesus. I get it. You have this external circumcision thing that you can say, this is what makes us, us. And it's an ethnic thing. And, you know, it's easy for us to say you're in and you're out and all that kind of stuff. But something happened in the cross of Jesus. A new covenant, a covenant that says, God says, I love you so much. I will send my son to die for you, not to ignore sin, to step right into it, to show us the vulnerability, to show us the weakness, to show us that God comes right into that part of our world. And he doesn't run from it. He gets crucified by it. To show us what real love is and where real transformation comes from. And to assure us, I know it's scary to live that vulnerably, to live that authentically, but spiritual growth when you, comes when you realize that it's not about faking it, it's about receiving. It's about receiving the blessing of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the presence of God. This is what changes us. This is what transforms us. And you say, oh, that is so threatening. Yes, it's a crucifixion. It's a death. Because the only thing that matters is a new creation, says Paul. The only thing that really matters is to allow God to transform us by all of this that he gives to us. So a few years ago, a little more recently, a friend of ours who worked for the Toronto Blue Jays, she did a lot of work not just with the Jays but with the stadium. So she came to me and my wife and she said, hey, I work all the concerts now at the Rogers Center and I can get free tickets for anything. Look at this schedule this summer. You want to go to a two concerts, 10 concerts. Just let me know and I'll get you tickets. So we look at it. We pick a couple of concerts. We go to the first one. She says, meet me at such and such a place. I'll give you your tickets. So we get there. We go see her. She gives us tickets and she points out where the seats are. Hey, you go right over there. Uh, These are your seats. See it all on the ticket, right? Barcode's going to work. Don't worry. And then she gives us a lanyard and she goes, or you can use this. This lanyard will get you in anywhere in the stadium except backstage. Any section, you can walk right down there, all the way down to the floor, all the way up to the stage if you want. We went, you gotta be kidding me. It was a big, huge, you know, like this is back in the day, but like 30,000 people in the stadium, right? So we go, well, I'm not going to sit. I'm going, I'm going down in the front row. So we put on these lanyards and we walk down there and I got a little bit of the bills game in the back of my head. I'm like, I hope this works. Guy scans the ticket. Oh, sir, right down here. Right down to the floor. Oh, right down to the stage. I mean, we stood there the whole time. We could literally reach out and touch the performers. We were so close. We were getting sweat on us. Like, it was that close. It was an incredible experience. Like, all access right in there. 
The barcode worked. Paul's saying, listen, I won't boast in anything else. You can fake everything, and it doesn't mean anything, and it doesn't matter if everybody believes you, and it doesn't matter if you've tricked yourself, but listen, I got the barcode that gets you access. I got the barcode that brings you into love. I got the, uh, the barcode that brings you into transformation, and I will boast in nothing else. I'm crucified to the world. The world's crucified to me, dead to those systems. I will boast in the cross of Jesus. I will boast that God has given you everything that you need to endure the consequences to endure the shame, to endure the guilt, to be restored and to be transformed and to live in the presence of God. And what's the pathway? Once and for all, Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world and yet he offers us to live in the pattern of death and resurrection. And what'll make the difference whether or not we enter into that system or live in the old one is what we are willing to receive. So today we're gonna close off uh, I want to just give you a blessing. Paul closes off in the next few verses with a blessing, and there's three things that he blesses people with. And so I want to give you blessing based on those three things today that are yours to receive, and then we're going to sing. And I hope you'll just take this time again, maybe to open your, your arms, open your palms, open your heart to receive what God has for you. So today, may you receive mercy, God's compassionate love that extends to us in our time of need, whatever our deepest needs are. May you receive peace, God's holistic care for our entire lives and for the entire world. And may you receive grace, everything that you need, undeserved, unmerited, wholly given for you, for us.